This episode of Humble and Fred is brought to you by Bodog, Gig Sky, The Retirement Sherpa, The Chambers Plan, GoDaddy, and DraftKings. Hello, I'm Toronto Mike, producer of Humble and Fred. John Tory has been mayor of Toronto since 2014, when he defeated Doug Ford and Olivia Chow. He's running again, so don't expect him to be going anywhere anytime soon. Before running for mayor, John Tory could be heard on 1010, and that's where he became friendly with Humble and Fred. Here he is in January 2012. I don't know what to say. Uh, maybe you can help out. He is a man that uh, has been a friend of Humble and Fred for some years, uh, as far as the show goes, and uh, a good acquaintance of ours. He should have been mayor. Should have been, been premier. Yeah. The best premier Ontario never had. Yeah, I probably, probably. Yeah. Where were you when I needed you guys? We probably, were we were there. <laughs> Wait a okay. second, I'm introducing you. They you all you're, say that. Listen, you're a radio Sorry. guy now. Apologize. You know I'm supposed to build That's this thing. Faith-based oh. thing wasn't our idea, John. What? <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> you can't get. It to was that. Howard's idea. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> we'll get to. You it. can't do that <laughs> in the, the time, intro. Well, the timing just felt right for him. Say, where were you guys? Seen 60 minutes. You got to loosen them up a bit. String them along. All right. I believe if he had wanted to, he could have been Prime Minister. It's John Tory. Uh, now uh, slumming it in radio, the host of the Live Drive on uh, News Talk 1010. Uh, it is indeed uh, John Tory. Welcome back to the Humble and Fred Show. Thank you for having me. Good to be here at the Worldwide Headquarters. Were uh, any trouble getting here? None, none whatsoever. See, I wouldn't, I couldn't see you being confused between Thirtieth Street and Thirteenth Street. It's been a, been a big issue with people finding their way here, but no, you're way above that. I didn't have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. So let's begin. Uh, well, you know, our favorite subject, us. <laughs> um, well, I wanted to ask about. Uh, I want to ask about Fred having his nuts candied over, uh, over the holidays. <laughs> oh, how, you've heard the program. How, how'd that go? <laughs> Very good. Yeah. See, Tori would have done his. Would you like okay? a sample? No, thank you. Because there's some here. <laughs> no, there's actually no, some here. You no, your candied nuts? No, yes. I know. It's and you know okay. what, Johnny? Thanks. I drizzled a lot. drizzled chocolate on them and a little cayenne pepper and a little sea salt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he does oh, no. his homework. He's not, not even surprised. No. Um, what about uh, what is your thoughts on HumbleAndFredRadio.com? You heard the impressive lineup of sponsors. You, of all people, understand entrepreneurs and business. Former uh, CEO of, uh, is, it, is it Rogers? How do you pronounce that? Rogers? Rogers? Rogers. Rogers. Yeah, Rogers. Rogers. Yeah. Yes. Funny man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> well, he thinks he's funny. <laughs> oh. Well, you know. <laughs> yes, Actually, he does. You yes, know, he you does. guys, you are all funny, and that's why this will work. The number of people who are now listening to this kind of stuff when they're out jogging, when they're in their car, when they're at the gym, uh, you know, they're listening to the program that I do that's, you know, broadcast over the air, but they're listening to the podcast, too, and so this is going to be a big success, and guys like Gary Slater smart to be in on the ground floor. You uh, mentioned at the end of the, the show last evening, you were promoing uh, today's program, the live drive at four, but I always I thought it was interesting that as a, you know, part of now the radio lexicon, you said, by the way, the interview we did with so-and-so is now up as a podcast, because mm-hmm. if you, because a lot of people don't have a chance to listen to every minute of your show. So if you want to hear something that John Tory did during the show, literally by the time the show's over, you had it up there available to people on demand. And it's the way it's going to be going forward. I mean, why would radio be any different than television? You know, that's well, why there's been, such though. a premium now on uh, live sports and live news, and why you see companies like Rogers and Bell going out and buying the Leafs, because because live sports is where it's at. People will watch live sports live. But everything else they watch, whether it's sitcoms, dramas, and so on, they can PVR it, they can, you know, they can look at it on demand, and radio's going to be the same way. I mean, and so, I mean, music, you wouldn't, well, you do that with your iPod anyway, already. But, I mean, in terms of the rest of radio, the content, the spoke, is what you guys do called spoken word, or I don't know spoken what you call word. it. <laughs> spoken word. We don't know what we call it. Yeah, well, it's, a, it's a lost I thought art. that was a bit too formal to describe what they do. Well, yeah. Ha, Kelly, 
how would you describe what I they would do? describe this as a talk radio show. Oh, you would? Uh, yeah. Really? Talk radio, entertaining talk radio show. Yeah, I would. I don't think it's, I don't think it's any different. From I mean it is it, it leans towards the humorous side yes, more than the a little the more discussion of poo poo than I would have sure, expected. Sure, but it's still talk radio. <laughs> what? What? what really? are you talking about? I like how he says poo poo. He's so proper. Well, I mean mm-hmm. I, no, but I mean I only because I heard you guys saying talking you about, talk about poo poo anymore and yeah. candied nuts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> candied. Um, speaking of radio, you, your transition into the business really amazes me. Mm-hmm. How free and easy it came. I've often said... Free? Easy? Free and easy. Well, let's talk about it. Words are only associated with me. Yeah, wait. We'll we'll bring (laughs) the free thing up in a second. Okay, Uh, yeah. A feel... No, a feel. You feel free. The show... You're very comfortable. Let's put it that way. You didn't listen to the first two shows, obviously. Well, you I know, what? it I, took a while. Yeah, okay, why, thanks. Yeah, why they were, you were just leaving? No, weren't wait you? a second. No, I, but I, was, I did. I was, I was, and do you not recall? I was nervous. A, a while later, I said to you, we were having a conversation yeah. when I still had a job in that building, and I said to you about six months later, I said, you know, I heard your first couple of shows, and you did what we, what anyone would have expected, which is, you know, find your way. But I had said to you that day that I said, you know, I just love where you've, where you've taken it, and how what Fred said, how how easy it's come to you but it doesn't you know it's, no, it, it, like I'll, anything else there's a first day in everything i'll say this i mean I, i've been lucky enough to have like literally four or five very different careers i've been a lawyer a politician a business executive a broadcaster and i was scared to death when i started every one of them because i had never done it before and as i was when i started out being a broadcaster i'm not afraid to admit that because i speak a lot in colleges and say don't be worried about being scared because it, you, otherwise you'll never try anything different so i was scared to death and as a result i was sort of sitting there probably like a robot probably sounded like a robot Probably people listening to the radio said, oh, my God, tune this guy out. But now I'm more relaxed doing it. And uh, so, you know, well, it takes okay. a while, like everything else. Let me reset that then. Give yourself a break on two days. There's lots of people who have been in this business two I years. I say two days. Well, Howard said, he oh, said, he said six months. months. Oh, six and he's months? He's probably being kind. Oh, now. I thought I heard a couple of days. No, there. I'm saying I heard the first couple oh, of Oh, the days. first couple. My point is six months later when we had the conversation. Okay, but the thing is, from my perspective, I heard you long before six months was up, and I was just amazed at how good and comfortable you sounded and how you just carried the show. Because, again, you're not, you you weren't a trained broadcaster, and just to take to it that easy just impressed me. Well, I had a lot of good coaching. Am I allowed to give you a compliment? Thank you. I appreciate okay. it. I had a good co- good coaching, and, uh, you know, I, I, you listen, and that's what I tell when I speak in these groups about changing careers and being scared. I say, if you listen to people who know how they're doing it, it's funny, because they told me at the beginning, I said, well, who should I listen to to figure out how you want me to sound? And they told me to listen to this guy in New York, who? Mark Levin, mm-hmm. uh, and I tuned him in, and he was kind of a very crazy right-wing guy that mm-hmm. was ranting and raving all the time, and I came back, and I said, well, I just can't do that. First of all, I'm not right wing, and secondly, I'm not crazy. I mean, Mark Levin's a smart guy. He's a lawyer, I think, and so on. Yeah. But, but he's just, he rants and raves a lot. And they said, well, fine, just be yourself. And I said, okay, well, that's pretty easy to do. And, uh, you know, so I did it. But I, I was nervous. And yeah, I was Mark listening. Levin, I don't hear it. But anyway. Let me just step in and say, you know, there's, it, we, we often say this about morning guys, people that have done morning radio. They're, they're no stupid, the ones that are mm-hmm. successful, they're no stupid ones, you know, us aside. What's going on? Oh, hi, Pete. Hi. John Tory's here. Mr. Tory? We're actually, that's Pete. He's one, one of our producers. That's John Tory. Pretty impressive. Yeah, I even brought Pete be. a green tea here because oh. I was told he drank oh, green tea. Nice. You so did I your got, research. I got the order, but then I was told, Kelly, you didn't drink coffee at all, and I see you sitting here drinking coffee. Who said I didn't drink well, coffee? Well, Jason did, actually. He sold you out and said, oh, No, he said, well. We don't buy Kelly coffee. <laughs> oh, sorry. It's not true. Because you know when you said Actually, you're not... she was the only one I really wanted to bring uh, coffee that's for. Funny. So, yeah, it's true. She's not normally included in the order. By the way, we have a presentation for you at the end of this program. Oh, you do? Yes. We do. You know how John said he's not free or easy? I'm both, I think, in, in mm-hmm. regards to this show. Free mm-hmm. yeah. and, you know, I'm easy. I don't even expect the coffee. So, John, yes. uh, what I was going to say is about, about broadcasters. There are, you know, maybe us aside, there are no stupid people that have been successful doing any kind of radio. One of the things I, I've always been struck by listening to you, and as you can probably tell when we've done the odd roundtable together, I can reference most of your shows. You it was funny because for a while there, the odd time I'd be on there, I'd go, as John Tory said on Tuesday, as Tory said at 3 on 4 on Wednesday, as during the crossover with Richards on Thursday. <laughs> anyway, uh, so the broadcasting mechanics aside, why you sound comfortable quickly is because when you're speaking, forget, you know, going from an element to promoing the the next thing and then throwing to traffic, all that's mechanics. But when you speak on it on a subject, you speak on it from the 
background, as you just mentioned, all those things that you've done. So when it's a political story, you speak as the guy that was the former leader of the opposition. So that's why I think it's so engaging to listen to, because most of these talk radio guys, you know, they all they all blow hard, but they don't really have a whole lot of background. It really does help, though. I mean, and I even now, uh, forgetting about the different jobs you have, I go out and and do things. Like, I went to Attawapiscat, for example, so I I could talk about it, having seen it, as opposed to just talking about it. And talking about it is fine. You can read the paper, watch TV, and all the rest. Uh, But when you go and see it, then you can come back. And so if you've been in politics, then if you're talking about the debate and what it's like, and you've been in one, a televised debate, well, you're obviously able to say, well, here's what it feels like. Here's what's going on. Here's what's really happening. Uh, If you've been a business executive this week, uh, last little while about all the executive compensation, you're able to talk about why that's the way it is, uh, and so on and so on. It, ju- it just helps to have had. Uh, now, some people would say it proves I can't keep a job, which. Uh, but let me just follow up one last. Looking at it before we get to some of the many subjects that Fred and I both want to engage you in, in, in outside of broadcasting. Is it true? Confirm or deny? And you know, I don't even think you know this, smart man over there from Brampton. Um, <laughs> confirm or deny? You're doing this job for free. No, it's not true. Oh. The, the the broadcasting job. Yeah. No, it's not true. No okay. way. No, I, I, here's what I heard. Why would you do that? I heard a rumor that you hadn't really even wanted any compensation, or if you did, it was going to go to some something other than you. Is that, did I, is that a, a fair question? No. Is, it's is that a, my putting it, you on the spot? A little bit. And okay. it, no, that, that part is not true. I will say, um, you know, when I was in politics, uh, I, I worked for half the time I was there for nothing, for, partly because I didn't have a seat in the legislature for part of the time, and I also gave away an amount equal to my salary as a politician to charity. Uh, because I just felt that, you know, I mean, in the, in the circumstances, that's, it's public service. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. But no, in radio, I'm getting paid, and I hope I'm getting paid fairly, because again, I think what you do is you devalue yourself if you do it for free in the context of a commercial business. I gotta go. And, I gotta uh, go. See ya. See ya. Okay, <laughs> Kel. Kelly. I did say one of my career. Hey, Kel. You know what? We've been waiting for this moment for 52 shows. Yeah. Hey, we're not getting paid. Uh-huh. I know. Jesus. Well, we're, you know, we're going to. You what she's doing though. is just a free sample because yeah, if you right. like oh, it yeah. and it works, and I can tell she you, having listened to some of the podcasts myself, she adds a lot to the program, and so therefore she should be cut oh, in immediately. Christ. John, oh, your John, is in please. Your car. But you could pay her in shares. Uh, really? Yep. I'd All rather right. take the cash. Actually, you know what? That's not a bad uh, idea. No, no, By the way, in the business, take the shares. It is. You know, we actually just became an official corporation, I think, last week. We got the papers. Yes. We're uh, all that stuff. We're humblefredradio.com. Okay, now I'm going to put you on the spot. Who's yeah. the CEO? Oh, wow. I think we know. <laughs> Someone had to be secretary. Someone had to be. Uh, yeah, you know what? Mama is I kid. My wife's company. My wife Barb. She has a company, and she uh, and and I and and she says she's the president, and I'm the secretary. And I said, yeah, I know there are very few companies that have the secretary and chief executive officer, yeah. which is not true. She's the president and CEO, but secretary and chief executive. Well, officer. that's why. You know what? I'm happy with it too because I get to look. I, I get to look after the money. Basically, that's right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very important. I Probably why I get oh, to make the speeches to the board of directors. Habits, <laughs> all his habits. All his habits. This company. Oh would yes. Crash. All my habits. Uh, um, okay, so well, I, again, I didn't mean to put you on the no, spot. Okay. I just I had heard that rumor that you know Tory was. No, there's doing a long this. story that goes with that, which I won't tell. All right, and won't bore you with. But so you, it was not a totally off base question. Mm. All but, right. Uh, I don't even know where to begin with John because I did work for a year without getting paid. Okay, but so then was, I eventually so got it wasn't paid. completely. No, but I eventually got paid. All right, yeah. good. See, there you go. Um, I don't know where to begin because you're such an interesting guy, um, and I don't want this to Would become you phone too. Would you my wife and tell her that? Yeah, well, no, she thinks again, I'm interested. We don't want this to become too political, and but you have been trained in radio now, so maybe you know we can ask lots of questions and you can give the condensed answer. Um, but you mentioned Attawapiskat, John, yes. and going there. Yes. The first thing I thought about when I heard you talking about that show, and I was very impressed. Um, where is where is all the casino money? that the Indians or the Native people are getting. What about all the cigarettes and the cheap gas that they sell and get to scoop? How come that community isn't helping itself that way? The issue what about isn't uh, a lack of money, Fred. You saw in Attawapiskat, they got $90 million bucks from the federal government. Okay. Leave alone that they get money from the casino. Now, their share of the casino money in Attawapiskat is quite small. It's like $300,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rama, uh, near Aurelia, near the casino, gets a lot more. But the issue isn't a lack of money. The issue is how that money is spent. And by the way, I don't blame uh, the Aboriginal people 100% for that I put much more of the blame on government for example 
They need a water plant up there, obviously. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it, it's in the middle of nowhere, I mean, up on the shores of Hudson Bay. Um, the government, I think, does by remote control from some office in Ottawa, says, well, you're a community of 1,800 located here. We've decided, therefore, you should have this kind of water plant. Nobody goes and actually looks at the water. So they put one in at a cost of millions and then find the water is not dirty because it's obviously very clean up there, but it's full of sediment and the water plant is broken within weeks because the sediment is clogged up inside and the water plant becomes useless. And that's today why they don't have water supply in the homes there, because the water plant is there, but it's not working because they didn't bother to figure out what the water was like. So that's how it isn't a lack of money. There was money there to provide for a water plant. Nobody bothered to make sure it was the right kind. Is it because they're so lo- low priority? Is that why? No, no, it's because everything is done by bureaucrats in Ottawa, and yeah. it's done according to a book, and they think that when they write a check and send it off with our money, uh, that that's it. You don't have to really bother to really look into how people live or what their water's like or anything. You just send money. And and the whole thing is badly broken and needs to be fixed. I heard your essay when you came back. And one of the things I wanted to ask you, if I could have been a caller that day, is how much of it is just our Canadian wanting to turn a blind eye to something that's maybe a little bit uncomfortable for us to admit, as you said. You know, if we're, we, we're all about sending money to the third world, but we've got third world conditions inside this province. So how much of it is that? And how much of it is some um, banned mismanagement of the money and funds that they do have. It's both. But I think more of the blame belongs on us, meaning the people, uh, the other Canadians, and the government, the bureaucrats and officials, than on the Aboriginal people. There's no question. The kind of things they do is they'll go off on their their hunting uh, weeks uh, when it's hunting season, and the guy who's in charge of the water plant and has to put the oil on the pump to make sure it keeps working goes off hunting for three weeks, and nobody's assigned to put the oil on. I mean, this is a a Mm. hypothetical kind of example, but that's the kind of stuff they'll do where you'd say, well, come on now somebody's got to look after the water plant. So we deserve the blame because we've turned our eyes away from this and a hundred other things. I mean, Mm -hmm. right now, I think we are into a real mode in Canada generally where we think we're so entitled to everything and we think that controversy and discussion and disagreement is so bad that we just, anything that's uncomfortable, as you put it, we just forget about it. Well, you know, we'll kick it down the road. And you know what? Our kids and our grandkids, it's going to be the worst mess if we don't wake up pretty soon and deal with some of these things. And and why would we want to do that to them? And it's our generation. I'll exclude Kelly. She's much younger. It is. But I've said this it's too. our generation that have let all Screwed this stuff it. pile up mm-hmm. and just figured that we're entitled to have everything the way we want it. We're borrowing against the future. It is a scandal. Plus, if I may say, there is a Canadian cultural sort of systemic thing where we think because we're not Americans and we're not whatever that we think they are, less educated, more overweight, all those things that we have. But because we're next door to that behemoth of you know, whatever, moray, the, 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 the housing, the, the culture, all, we think we're okay, but we're not. Well, and we're very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not to condescending, but we're very kind of uh, self-satisfied yeah. about how good we are compared mm-hmm. to the Americans. We have a whole set of our own problems here. We have, we have other things where we're better off than they are. Mm-hmm. But even our healthcare system, where we look at theirs and say, all bad, and look at ours and say, all good. Well, ask the people that are trying to get a hospital bed that is presently occupied by an older person who can't find long-term care or home care up here. Or ask people who are waiting weeks and weeks and months to get a test where they're terrified that they've been told they might have cancer, but they can't find out whether ours is working perfectly, um, you know, and so on. So, so I just think that's all part of it is that we've sort of convinced ourselves we're better, we're superior up here, and that we really have no problems worthy of taking up. And that I, I put at the feet of both the politicians, but also the taxpayers who let them get away with it. I mean, the pa- taxpayers don't just say, hey, I'm not taking it from you anymore that you can promise me to improve services, cut taxes, fix the deficit, and do it all at the same time because anybody who thought about that would know it's impossible. And yet how they keep it, electing not, people. How is it, who you're do not that. in charge. I know. But, but John, how is that ever going to change? Because I told the truth, by the way. No, you told the truth. And speaking of the truth, look at Dalton McGinty. Do we have to? Hold on. The thing is, since I think I cast my first ballot in 1978, in my experience, I have never seen a bigger political liar than that man. I'm telling you. I really don't like him because he's dishonest. Yet he keeps being elected. See, I think you're mistaking dishonesty on his part for being a chameleon. I think what he is is more so than dishonest. He's a person who changes his, his, uh, you know, the color of his skin like a chameleon would uh, to suit the times. And I think it looks like he's sort of lying. But, but is that any re- better? Well, 
I don't know. I mean, I think what really is important is you're doing the right thing. Isn't that what's really important? That you do the right thing. And even mm-hmm. if it means you have to change your mind or change your opinion or change mm-hmm. what you said before. And I think that's the problem today, whether it's Mr. McGinty or anybody else, is that people, and I think he actually, when it came to say something like the HST, I supported him on that because that was doing the right thing mm-hmm. in terms of tax policy. And people groaned about it and they moaned about it and said it was awful. People opposed it who previously had said it was a good thing for the economy. It was the right thing to do. And so, you know, that's the real problem is that people aren't doing the right thing often enough. And when they do it, and it's tough medicine for people, everybody dumps on them and they run for the hills. Like Rob Ford. <laughs> well, he's not run for the hills yet. Yeah. John Tory's our guest. He has uh, had a, an interesting career, whether it was the uh, commissioner of the CFL, uh, running for mayor, CEO of Rogers, uh, now live drive on uh, News Talk 1010. And at this stage in your life, when you look back on all the things that we, I've just mentioned and some of the things that you've done that we don't even know about, I mean, is this a, is this, are you in a very good place in your life? Because I listen to you and I think you sound like someone to me that's happy in where they are you know you have a a great life grandchildren you know you're still in love with uh, your beautiful wife and who knows you know what else you got going on you know i don't even know (laughs) (laughs) if you were implying anything beyond my wife the answer is nothing so you know i don't know a lot of trouble here buddy you know i don't know listening to this i know uh, i don't know much about you i know your son he's a good guy you know i've actually flown with john tory jr do you know that about me you know howard he sort of drives in a different lane than you and i john you know that yeah, yeah. I, 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 well, mm-hmm. yeah, let's not get into it, though. It would be unfair. No, it's, you <laughs> have the candy complete. nuts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, he, uh, he drives in a much slower lane you know than what? I, I said after I lost the provincial election in 2007, and I w- did one of those interviews the morning after, and somebody said to me, well, how do you feel? And I said, well, I feel fine. I mean, I'm disappointed. But I said, look, I got up this morning, and I looked myself in the mirror, and I realized that my integrity was intact, and that I had all the things you just said, a great family, and I, I hadn't yet had grandchildren. We had them a couple of days later. Literally, the first one came a couple of days later but um, you know if you've got that stuff in your life and look I've also been lucky to to achieve some degree of financial security in my jobs that helps too I'll admit that but having said all that I mean what your title is and I tell these school groups and college groups I talk to all the time do what you have some passion for change what you do from time to time if you need to sort of juice yourself up a bit um, but do what makes you happy because there's a lot of people with fancy titles and who make a lot of money who are very unhappy including some of these guys we saw written up in the last few weeks making millions some of them are mournfully unhappy. Have no family. They're you know they got divorced or they they never you know they never had a family or they have an unhappy family, you know and on it goes. And so yeah, I mean I look at my life and say my God how lucky could you get, you know to have the kids and and the wife and and all the rest and to have uh, then to have the job opportunities that I've had. How lucky do you get? Now you mm-hmm. make some of your own luck. Obviously you have to sure. work hard and I tell my kids that. But how lucky can you get? So what do I have to feel bad about that I lost a couple of elections, you uh, you know or whatever. I mean. Uh, We'll get to that in a second, but to Howard's point about the the, the different things you've done, and, and you were talking about all the different jobs you've had, you're in a pretty good position, though, because you never have to fear for losing a job, because you know there will be another one there. You probably have lots of job offers on a continuous basis. I mean, guys like us in radio, you lose your job, you're you're afraid because you mm-hmm. don't know what you're going to do next. But you're in a position that if you leave radio, I'm sure within, what, weeks, days? Seconds. But Seconds, you see, you'd, be, you'd be running a company. I'm somewhere. lucky enough to have that opportunity, but I would say to you that you, you know, and I know you've been through it, both of you have, yes. but at the end of the day, I think your attitude is also pessimistic about yourselves because you've got to believe in yourself and say, well, if the talent that brought you to where you are in terms of this and all the other things you've done before is there, which it clearly is, then... You don't have to confine yourself to saying, well, fine, I'm going to get another job in radio. And I know mm-hmm. it's easier said than done, mm-hmm. but I think if you have the will and you have the passion to say, fine, then look what you've created here. Something that's brand new. It's entrepreneurial. It's going to work. I'm convinced. You have people who are smart people that are betting on you, and they're not, they're not stupid. They're not rich and successful because they make stupid bets. So I just say that you know everybody should have that confidence in themselves about something that they do. Everybody's got a skill and a talent. Everybody. You know, without exception. And so I just look at it that way and say, fine. And I joke on the air about saying I've never really been fired except by the voters. And I say mm-hmm. to our boss over there at 1010, Mike Ben Dixon, well, if he fires me, then, uh, you know, maybe I'll have that experience and go do something else. It, well, you know, I couldn't agree with you more. And Fred and I often, <clears throat> in fact, we had a discussion this morning before the show started about the amount of self-deprecation that we do now versus when we were on the radio. And we do, I think we do a lot less of it now because for a couple of reasons, we're a little older, we're a little more 
confident. We actually think we're pretty good. We took, we're betting on ourselves. You know, the problem with a lot of people in radio is that's kind of all they see themselves doing where we sort of said, well, listen, if we're not going to get offered a job or we're not going to take some of the jobs that were offered us, and there were some, how can we be in charge of ourselves? How can we build a group of people? And, and so we went about doing that. And, and we think this is going to work to the point where we may be offered a radio job someday and not want to take it because mm. it's intoxicating being in charge of your own shit. No, what did say. I say to you uh, one day in the hallway? We were talking about this, and I said, no, the next thing you should be looking at doing is if you, if you want to put this program and this kind of stuff on, back on the airwaves, as it were, as opposed to the Internet alone, Buy a radio station. You've got lots of you got guys that would bet on you. I know. You guys know guys you, that would bet on you, you including you me. You might think that's silly. Fine. We'll including be investors. Him. I no, said I that, including mm-hmm. me, and you've got Gary Slade and a host of others. And then you are still the master of your own destiny. You choose to be on the air when you want to be on the air. That's all part of the fun, but you also have the the, the, the thrill and the experience of being an owner and and you know, building a business. So that's why I say I, I just don't you don't get yourself down. That's why I didn't get myself down after I lost elections. I would have rather won, obviously. But but at the end of the day, you just say, fine, then that chapter closes, the next one opens, and you don't even know what it is most of the time. But you just seek it out. Kelly Cotrera. If I could make an observation, this studio, John, agree with me or not, this is even nicer than CFRB studio, isn't it? Yeah, the, the, the one in the condemned towers? You mean Honestly, the yeah, yeah. yeah, definitely. No, it's but funny. this really is. It's, it's, it is. And it's comfortable. And I have to say, you guys, I could see you running a radio station and hopefully building it and building the room that it's in because we are at Fred's dining room table. I think it does add a casualness and a relaxed honesty to the show. I haven't heard John sound this great in in ages. Honestly, I love you what on the air. What are you talking air. about? But I did no, last night. He sounds fantastic. Sound, no, he sounds fantastic right now because there's this relax. Is there not? Is it not no, relaxed? relaxed? You here. feel well, sure. like you can be uh, honest. Yes. Well, yes. plus he you're not loves editing us. it all. No. I'm guessing. I mean, except for I don't want to comment on that. But you guys sound great. I sound fantastic. I mean, it's... come over here. I'm going to mouth kiss you. I and swear you to God, look, I will. And you look much better. Come over than all here. Of us. I will give you a Is kiss right a on your room? mouth. I can do that. I've got kind of what? Sorry, sir. What? It's a good room. No, you know, stop. You know, I, you have been way, looking at me speak, like that. Well, no, no, for but I, I just years. reminded me when you said that that I saw Amanda on the website doing a little promo. Lady friend. Just lovely. Yeah. Well, can we talk about that for a minute? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. What do you want to know? Go ahead. <laughs> no, what do you I'm tired know? of it. <laughs> what do you want to know? You wouldn't Nothing. be you wouldn't be the only yes you do. Yes, he's, <laughs> look at, he's like yes, a you, do. you wouldn't be the only guy your agent wants to know. I'm I'm happy to field any questions. Never what have mind. you always wanted to know? Nothing. Yes. Okay, let me ask it's you it's something, it's John. It's better than you can imagine. Do you have really? a daughter? I do. How old is she? She's twenty seven and she's a doctor and I'm very proud of her. Okay. Wow, Howard. What happens if Doctor. What, what oh. happens if she walks in with a 52-year-old boyfriend? 51. 51-year-old boyfriend. If she loves him and she can figure the whole age thing, if that's an issue, out for herself, then that's that's up to her. You know, one of the things exactly. I learned... That was my answer. You guys have kids. I mean, yeah. you, the last thing you ever do is comment on your kids and who right. they choose to hook up with. Older, younger, fat, thin, gay, straight, you know, whatever. You just let live. They, they're the ones that are choosing their partner, not me. And I figure if that... Very articulate, very attractive woman that I saw on the website wants to hook up with Howard. I can't say I understand it. I can't say I understand it, but if, if you want me to say, do I accept it as being her choice? I'd say, no problem. Great answer. I'd same thing. I don't, about, I don't understand it. And what have I said time and time again? Smart people have no trouble with it. I'm telling yes. you, no, the only people that have ever had any trouble with it are people that have never met her or I or just conceptually think it's disgusting. But smart people, do that's the answer to everything. Listen, if I showed up here and Phil was my boyfriend and we were happy, I would be very happy with you, Phil, because you're delicious. Um, mm-hmm. Look at Peter McKay just married the woman. You yeah. know, the oh, she's woman, beautiful. She's, I think, 14 years or something younger than he is. Yeah. I don't even see, nobody's even mentioned that in any of the articles. They it's interesting you say that. other things, but they don't mention that. Let me just interrupt and say, I read that article this morning in The Sun, and that beautiful, I think she's Iranian, mm-hmm. she's gorgeous. The only mention of age is hers. The only you know, when they do the newspaper, blah, 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 and they come up, her name, 32. And I thought, well, I don't know how old Peter McKay is. I know he's older than 46. that. So there you go. Yeah, yeah but you know, it's it's a, sort of an imaging thing. If Amanda was in her 30s, like even 31, 32. And she the will impre- be one day. No, but I'm saying the impression would be different. There's just something about it. I don't know. As a guy in uh, in my 50s, somebody in their 20s is still a kid. When they're in their 30s, they're not. That's just the way I look well, at it. And, I, and that's why I think the Peter McKay thing, he's been cut a little slack that way because I think they're a little closer in age. But back to you, my point about you having met her, she was mm-hmm. in here yesterday. I mean, you can, 
you know, you can see that she's not your typical, or what you would no. think is a typical 27-year-old person. She's very grown up. She works in the financial world. She's going to, right now, she's making more money than daddy. Um, <laughs> yeah, she works for TD Wealth and Management. she's very wow. grown up. So you yeah. see, she's very grown up. Yeah, there's exactly. an explanation for all of this. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm immature. She's very make mature. up for their own, uh, never mind, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway I just happened to see her on the website yeah, there, and I thought, she's very, yeah. mm. she's a very nice person. Yeah. Well, well done. Thank you. Yeah, and for her. Yeah. By the way, I mean um, that too. So let's go back to a couple things I want to get out of the, the way here. Um, I did hear you also saying on the same, uh, one of the podcasts that you weighed, I think, 200. By the way, I started at 215 I pounds. Yeah, yeah I'm, you look I'm, good. And I went to Harvey Brooker. That's mm-hmm. where I went. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said to me, the question he asked, by the way, I don't know what the answer to this question is, was... Um, how much did you weigh on the day you got married, which was him just picking a mm-hmm. milestone back yep. a number of years ago, in my case, 34 years. And I told him 173, and he said, well, is there any reason you should weigh more than that today? And I said, guess not, because I was the same size, and I'm about the same size as you. I'm six feet tall. So, uh, But I've always been... See, on the... I. I like, I've always been bigger those than you. Biceps. I'm yeah, looking I'm at them now. Like, they're almost bursting out of the shirt. It's, I, it's newspaper, John. Do you have to get special shirts made. For <laughs> no, those you know, Fred. I've told you when you plank as much as I do in a week, you really yeah. you build this upper body. <laughs> I, I I'm at two. I was two oh, uh, sixteen this morning, and I'm about. 10 pounds more than I normally am. If I went down to 200, that would I would look really skinny. I would not that you didn't w- no, need no, to but lose. I, 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 look, did, I just yeah. have a different Everybody's build than you. Exactly. Yeah. If I lost 35 pounds, yeah. it would so I wanted to start with that. I know you've lost some weight and you look great. I would say though for a while there when you first started losing weight, um because it, it seemed to me like, as I was still in the building at that point, that it came off very quickly. It does. But, you know, the, the, with these programs, if you just eat, uh, all it is is about is portion control and not eating stuff that's, you know, when I say mm-hmm. bad for you. I mean, mm. fried foods and sugar and so on. And when you change your eating habits, the weight just falls off you. I mean, it's just true. It just shows you that the bad stuff just goes on and accumulates. And so that's all it was. I mean, men and women can lose weight very quickly if they sort of are eating the right stuff and doing a little more exercise. It's in, uh, the... Uh Canada Food Guide. I told these guys, and I showed my kids who both wanted to lose some weight. I followed the Canada Food Guide back in April to the to the letter. Yeah. And it was amazing. I lost like nine pounds in three weeks yep. wow. just following the basic food guide. So you're right. It's all about portions and what you're eating. And I think I, we had talked in the hall that day. You'd, you'd cut out uh, some of that fried food and pizza and those things. I've heard you talk about it on the show. Did you also reduce uh, alcohol intake? Well, you, you, I never drank much to begin with. Uh, when you're in politics, uh, and I never did before, but when you're in politics in particular, you sort of learn that uh, there's a standard of behavior that, uh, you know, is expected of you, and that's fair enough. Uh, and uh, it just means that uh, drinking uh, to excess even mildly right. can get you in a lot of trouble because either your lips uh, start to get loose or just because you do something that's stupid. So I, I drink very little. You never went to a hockey game and swore at people? <laughs> Not yet. No, okay. No, I'm working on it. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I want, so we, I wanted to get the weight thing out of the way. I, I have said this, and Fred's heard me uh, reference this several times over the years, and I might have even said it with you guys on News Talk. The, it seems to me that over my lifetime, the best and brightest people I've met are not in politics. But you were a little bit of the exception, although it seemed that the voters turned away from you. But you were a best and brightest guy, lawyer, CEO, CFL commissioner, and you went into politics. So just speak to me a little bit about why don't more people who have been the CEO of Rogers, who have run big companies and had big budgets and big well, big responsibility. Why don't more of those people want to get into politics? And is it because, as Al Paladini said to me once, who needs the shit? Who needs it? I think for most people it's that reason. I think there are a number of other more practical reasons. I mean, there are some people who would say, well, how would I manage financially? Because, you know, going from what you would make in a business or law job or whatever uh, to what you get paid as a politician is a, something some people say they just couldn't deal with. Uh, I think a lot of it, though, is just that whole life. I mean, I was talking about it a bit the other day in the context of Rob Ford and the 911 call, and, and I said, you know, it's fair enough the Toronto Star should inquire about why the mayor's house made a call to 911, but then having been given the answer, which is a pure speculation about what may have happened, what might have happened, what did or didn't happen, no charges laid, no investigation taking place. I don't think reporting on the rest of it is fair. And and a lot of people would say, look, I don't even want to be in the position where I have to answer questions. I mean, I remember when I was in politics, there was a great fascination with what kind of car I drove. And the fact was I drove an eight, then eight-year-old Lexus uh, 
uh, and they made a big deal of the fact it was a Lexus because that was, first of all, a Japanese car, although they make cars here too, and that it was Lexus, you know, a fancy car. It was eight years old. And I thought to myself, well, uh, you know, like, why does anybody care what kind of car? And I drove myself around a lot of the time, too. So, I mean, uh, but, but I, and I'm not, you know, sort of expecting congratulations for that. They asked me about what real estate I owned. And so they, they sort of try and make a deal of these kinds of things. And there's a lot of people who would say, screw you. You know, I'm in politics. Uh, whatever I have, I, if you want to suggest I bought it dishonestly or that somehow I've got mortgages out to the mafia or whatever, fine. You go ahead and say that. But if I just own it and it's mine and so on, why? The first day I was there, the first day I was there, the liberals thought they were being funny and handed out little silver spoons and, and Richie Rich badges wow. and, and just said, well, look at this guy here in politics. And I, and I said, the press came and said, what did I think of this? And I said, well, if we're to the stage where if you're successful and you go into politics and it becomes something that you should be embarrassed about and you should have to sort of apologize for success, I would have thought the liberals would want to say, we want everybody in Ontario, if possible, to be successful, meaning in their job, not just financially, but otherwise. So I think a lot of people just say, you know what, forget it. And, and they talk about the media. The media was almost the least of my concerns. They treated me very professionally, virtually every minute of every day. You, you will not get me to complain about the media. It's just more the attitude that exists, almost worse among other politicians where they're trying to character assassinate mm -hmm. each other and stuff. And I just didn't play that game. I just I had no interest in it. I didn't go there to do that. I never heckled in the legislature, not once. One, not, not even once. I just want to mm -hmm. say, it's one of the reasons that people sometimes get turned off of politics, because you hear these guys yelling at each other. And I, I've often thought, well, you've answered my question. It's exactly what I've always thought. That who, you know, if you're running a big company, who needs the? Let me give you the flip side, though. The chance you've got to make a big difference on can so really many make, things, whether really it's though? the schools. Yes, you can. No really? matter how frustrating and how unproductive they are, and how much time they spend heckling and character assassinating each other, if you even spent ten, if you spent a hundred percent of your time, you could make a gigantic difference. Even if you spend ten, the chance to help with the healthcare system, the environment, the roads, the justice system, uh, kids and the impoverished kids in the city, you know, whatever you want, that's the appeal of it. Is that you can make such a big difference. Uh, the frustration if you never get to government, as I didn't. I never got to be the mayor, and I never got to be the premier, so I was in opposition, which is incredibly frustrating because you're just being sort of a critic and being negative. But the chance to make a difference, huge. So that's the flip side of okay. the frustration. And I think if people really thought about that, it's like you asking me, Fred, about being fired. If you sort of look at being fired and say, well, it's not good news, but it does open up a new chapter right. in your life, then you can say, fine, look forward, not back. And if you go to government and say, well, sure, you put up with the hassle of all these people who are small-minded and heckling and fool you know, wasting time. But on the other hand, you have a chance there to make a difference for kids or for Aboriginal people or for the environment or whatever you care about. You know, this is interesting because um, just listening to you, you would have been so good for the city, you would have been so good for the province, and I'm not just saying that because you're sitting here. I've said that before I even met you. Um, but being a conservative and being somebody, the silver spoon image guy, I mean, obviously that hurt you because even after you lost the election and you ran... Uh, for the riding, where was it, up around Peterborough? Lindsay, yeah. Lindsay, mm -hmm. and you lost that. I mean, to me, that was inexplicable, other than the fact that it was... <sighs> Just a vote against what you represent. Against a guy from Toronto. Against a guy from Toronto that's Look, got money. People in my own party also decided that I was too, I wasn't conservative enough, mm -hmm. and they basically helped to do me in, and that's just a fact, and that'll be all written up in my book when it eventually comes out. I mean, and I don't mean that in any spiteful way. I think you just have got to write the truth about what happened to you, and uh, so that's fine. I mean, that's politics. You accept that. I'm a big boy. But the bottom line is that, uh, you know, the, the, you pay a price for that, and I mean, I wish what we could turn around and say is, because, you know, the, the, the kids today, when I say that, I mean kids, my kids' age, they don't care if people are gay or straight or fat or thin or whether they were farmers or doctors or lawyers. They just sort of look at things, I think, much more on merit and say, well, look, do we want good people in public life? And my answer to that is yes. And so I've gone out and helped people in public life and, and spoken up on their behalf who are in other parties because I want them to be there mm -hmm. because they're good people. You know, I was happy that I didn't understand why, and I told him this, that Bob Ray, you know, and I have a lot of disagreements with Bob Ray over the years of things that he's done, but Bob Ray is a good person. And I'm happy that Bob Ray went back into politics because we need good people in politics. He's smart. He's motivated to do many of the right things. And I would disagree with his prescription sometimes. And I could name you 100 people like that that are in the other parties, and I'm happy they're there. And so you, you sort of get over the fact that, uh, you know, that, that things end the way they do or that people do stupid uh, things in politics. But it's just the way it is. So I think John Tory is a perfect example. And, and Bob Ray and some other people in different parties are a great example of people that went into it, <clears throat> excuse me, for altruistic 
with motivation because they could all have made money doing something else. There's just a, a certain sliver of politics where it's that sort of intoxicating power, being in charge kind of thing. And they, they, they're career politicians that have stayed in there so long that I think they kind of lost touch with how True. all the real world How worked. could you stay in touch when you're in jobs like that? You can't. And it's why nobody should make it a career. You should make it something that you do as a period of public service for a right. while. I, it's why I didn't used to believe in term limits, and I'm now increasingly believing for lots of jobs, including boards of directors of corporations and so on. You should say, okay, do nine years, 12 years, some period of time that's in that range, because you need to have long enough to make a difference and short enough not to become stale and apologizing for your own mistakes we need and, and then out. Well, uh, Freddie, most volunteer boards, and it's funny, of all the people that have tried to hire John Tory in the last 10 years, I was one of them in the spring. I, I uh, was on the board of a children's theater, young people's theater, and the, they started saying, you know, because I was president, they said, who might make another great president? And then your name came up, and I, all I said to John is, I know you don't have time, but maybe you could help us find someone to do that. And, our, and we have board limits. Volunt- you know, whether you're on the AGO board or on YPT, you're in there for two, three-year periods for, yeah. for a reason. Right. So that in, in three to six years, fresh people fresh come in. Why would we not have our government treated the same way? And for, sure. for that matter, corporate boards where they make very important decisions that affect our lives. And, and you know, when people say they get too close and that that's, they all then start to sc- scratch each other's back in terms of these comp packages, compensation, for example, mm-hmm. I think there's probably an element of truth that it's not as much as they say, but I think if you're gone in nine years, then I guess you're gone. Mm-hmm. Or 12. You know, but that's, I think increasingly we'll see that happen because people are realizing. You know, the other thing, it's good for the people involved. The politicians who are at it for 25 years, when they come out, let's say they're 59 and they've come out after 25 years, they can't do anything. Mm -hmm. Because whatever they did before, whether they were a lawyer or a farmer or a pharmacist or a dentist or a teacher, they can't do that anymore. They've been 25 years gone from it, and people aren't just going to say, sure, come on back and take your old spot. And so, um, you know, it's bad for them to be in it that long. Right. Uh, speaking of fresh, um, your demise, I guess, through provincial politics and becoming premier, was a fresh idea whose time had come, and it seemed fair to all, yet it turned around and bit you in the ass. And the one, what I've always thought about the full funding issue, the strategy room, when you guys sat down and thought, okay, now is the time to come up with this. And, and, you know, a trial balloon or whatever it was. What was that meeting like? Well, first Was all, there people like on both sides of the table saying we, th- you shouldn't do this? I had made a commitment when I ran for leader that I would address the issue if I became the leader. And address the issue was the unfairness of funding one set of schools sure. for the Roman Catholics uh, and not funding all the other ones. So you had two choices. You could either take it away from the Roman Catholics, and they'd had it for 150 years, and that would have been a mess, too, I mean, in terms of controversial. Or you could say, you know what? Why don't we give it to the other people, provided that they agree to teach our curriculum, that they have teachers that are qualified under our rules, that they agree to be inspected by our inspectors. And my theory on that is I'm bringing those people into public education because guess what? Those Muslim schools that people thought I invented and the Greek Orthodox and the Jewish and the Christian schools, they exist today and they're increasing in number and they're not part of public education at all. So when Dalton McGinty, I think quite cynically, said I was in favor of segregating people, Mm -hmm. I should have been tougher on him. Frankly, I look back now and I say, I should have looked at him and said, well, just a moment here. I mean, are you saying that people who go to Catholic schools are segregated because they're publicly funded and you went to one and your wife teaches in one? And I should have furthermore said, look, those people have self-segregated themselves away from public education today. I'm trying to bring them in. Mm -hmm. So they become part of public education and can be more like the other schools, even if they have a small religious component to them. And by the way, I said they had to comply with all of our laws, human rights laws and everything else, and otherwise, no money. So I didn't really get a chance to explain that issue properly, and it became very quickly an issue that sort of really, I mean, if I want to call a spade a spade here, it became very focused at a time of great sensitivity on this about the Muslim schools, which I think is terribly unfair. I mean, I could talk for hours about the people of the Islamic faith who I got to know in that community, and most of them are good, solid, contributing co-workers of all of ours and neighbors of ours and friends of ours and their their uh, religion has been vilified and there are people who cause that to happen 
that are extremists, as there are in all religions. Anyway, it got turned around. That's politics. Uh, and um, I paid a huge price for that. But I was standing on an issue of principle, which is why I said earlier, I could get up the next morning and look myself in the mirror and say, look, I put forward an honest view on a matter of principle that was meant to expand public education and be fair as between and among religions. By the way, in Saskatchewan, two weeks ago, they announced they were going to provide funding to schools of all faiths as a means of saying, look, we want everybody to be included in public education, and as long as you follow the rules, you can have some money. It was the war room, though, the strategy, before you went public with it. What, what was it I've like? I've never said this before, but but I will say it here. HumbleandFredRadio.com exclusive. First of yeah. all, um, the polling, because, you know, you do polling on all these mm-hmm. things. The polling showed that it was not an easy issue, but that it was one of those issues that was kind of workable in the context of people understanding if you had a chance to go through these different things I just mentioned with them. What we didn't count on, to be perfectly honest, I, and this is me being a bit naive about politics, I guess, and I'll plead guilty on that because I guess I just have it in me to say I look at the positive side, as you can tell, of these things. I didn't think that Dalton McGinty and his party, he in particular having been someone who went to a Catholic school, his father having been a proponent of funding these very schools that I was suggesting be funded, um, he himself in the past having said he would fund them as well or look at it, I didn't think they'd be able to turn their whole campaign around and run it on the basis of saying I was going to segregate people one from another i just didn't think like you see because i couldn't do that right mm-hmm. but i'll John, tell you on the hst i mentioned earlier when i lost that by-election the budget came down about a week later that introduced the hst i'm telling you had i got elected to my seat and still been there as the opposition leader i wouldn't have been able to oppose the hst because even though people would have said to me oppose it because it's going to be unpopular i would have said it's the right thing to do yeah but john and, and if I see, so i'm just not you're capable. not your typical politician which not. is why you know, why i'm sitting here today exactly, not elected in in the, in the <laughs> yeah. ghetto so what does here. that tell yeah. No, but John, I mean, uh, uh, so many things you said are so counter to what most politicians are all about, which is getting, if people, and I, it makes me so mad, if people don't understand, and I've said this w- with you before, that m- politicians are doing and saying and reacting and acting based on the fundamental raison d'etre, which is getting elected. As opposed to doing what's right. Doing the right. Because if, if they were in there doing what's right, then there would be times when there'd be partisan and not partisan. But a lot of the time, like Dalton McGinty, listen, Fred's comments about him being a liar aside, it was, if you, for a per, uh, political student, it was good politics for him. Of course. Because it ruined it. It ruined your campaign. Because no one was really, no one got a chance to hear you uh, articulate the issue. All they heard was John Tory, segregation, faith based school. Correct. And you know what else? Anything else? Another mistake I made when you want to talk about the war room, we had a big, de- a big debate before the televised debate about how I would handle Dalton McGinty in that debate. And again, I'm, I'm going to write this up one day when I get the time to do this. And we had two choices. One is I could just answer in substance, as I just tried to do with you, about why I was advocating this policy. Or the second is I could go after him and say, you, sir, are a complete hypocrite on this, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We chose, all together, we chose to take route number one, which is to try the substantive explanation. So in the debate, when it came up, of course, we knew it was going to, instead of turning to him, and saying, you are a complete hypocrite on this. I don't know how you can stand there with a straight face and do this. I didn't do that because it's, it's sort of not in me. I tried to say, well, look, here's what I'm trying to do with this. Here's why the policy is the way it is. That was a political mistake. Probably. Now, we made it together. It wasn't one I made by myself, but we made it together and decided it just wasn't probably me to be pointing at him and saying you're a hypocrite and, you know, that sort of thing. But I probably should have done it because then I think people would have said, well, wait a minute now. You know, he's made me think about that. It would have diluted it well, a little it bit. Well, it would have maybe caused people to stop and think. Okay, but how about this question? You talk about partisan politics. If you'd have done everything exactly the same but had run as a liberal, I bet you would have been elected. True. Because Possibly. there's all sorts of people posed. The minute you you gave all the bleeding hearts and all the anti-cons, as I call them, an excuse not to like you. As soon as that issue came and Dalton went the way, he, they just all rallied behind him. But I think liberals and NDP people, if you'd have come out with that, they would have loved it if you if you had been a liberal. Possibly. We'll never know. Really, yeah. Well, we'll never know, but I think uh, so. This book you're thinking of writing... Um, is there maybe just a little, like a, a line, or Humble and Fred have always <laughs> been, to me, the quintessential, even though the loud one is a bit nutty, and then there's the guy from Brampton, there'd be something in there. I'm willing to work it in. All right. I'm willing uh, to work That's it in. John. John Tory has, I think what was weird how we met, we met, uh, one of the reasons we met John is because John's mayoral campaign office was at St. Clair and Young, right in the, where that, the, the Royal Bank there Yeah, now. the bank yeah. is there now. Oh, you brought coffee too there, Kunga. 
John Tory's here. That's our producer. That's how lax this is. Producer comes in. He comes I can in. see what's happening. Two things here. One is as, as we sort of stay in the worldwide headquarters, the oh, number of people yeah. here is increasing by the minute. Yeah, I know. So obviously there's a bit but of But the a, boss has got in early. You well, saw that. I, I did see that. Yes, yeah. the CEO and the, the secretary and CEO and the president. Yeah. And uh, the second thing I can see is that they all obviously have been trained by you to bring stuff and, you know, try and not, actually suck not, up. Not no, really. That's not normal. It's not normal. I call it career planning as opposed yeah, to sucking nice. up. Were yeah. you finished that question or statement? Because I just wanted to ask John about one what? sports question before he leaves. Finished Something about, about when he was, sir. we got to know him as a man. Oh, I, no, I just wanted to say yeah. it was weird because I was smoking at the time and I used to go down yeah. there and hang outside there and I got to meet Rocco Rossi, who is a yep. great guy. And then we got to meet John and it was funny because I really didn't know, we, I didn't know about John and the CFL and the, uh, but I just thought this was a guy that was willing to come on our silly little show and sort of treat us, um, Take us seriously, mm-hmm. and it always it always made me feel good that you somehow figured that we might be able to do something. Now, just something. so you don't get too carried away, I'm while so I was doing my away. preparation to come and visit with you this morning, yes, I did yes. spend a few minutes on turdwords.com just on the theory that I should have something from off. Have you ever gone there? You're, no. no. You know, you know cause I heard, well, no, but I heard you guys you know, talking about sort of poo-poo and pee-pee. Yeah, and, we talk you know, poo-poo whatever. sometimes. So I thought, well, gosh, I guess if that's what we're doing over there, I better get ready. Oh, listen. <laughs> but now I see we've had a very substantive, thoughtful discussion this morning. Did you come up with any turd words? Yeah. Well, actually, the one I chose, of course, most of what I saw there, I couldn't yeah. possibly even no. repeat on this radio show, but I did see on their Canadian coffee table. I'm sorry? I don't know what that what is. Canadian coffee table. Well, you do it uh, from behind, and you use oh. her back as the place where you put your beer and your Whoa! bacon so you can, so you can, so you, so you can watch Hockey Night in Canada. Wow. Oh, my what? God. John Tory. I can't even look at you now. <laughs> <laughs> Although I can't look away. Yeah. I don't know what's happening. Canadian coffee table. Before guy. we uh, finish yeah. up with John, think you want to ask yeah. a, a sports store? And I, and I think when you became commissioner of the Canadian Football League, yes. I think a big part of you was you wanted to help this league that was struggling, right? I did. Yeah. Is there any hope? I think it's time. Oh, I, to... No, I think it's 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 fine. I mean, you know, the bottom line at that time was the in same Toronto, old... even. It, yeah, yeah. Okay. I think the bottom line at that time was you had a bunch of people who who were successful business people who owned these teams who were so anxious to sort of sniff the jock straps and hold the gray cup that they were doing something they would never do in their other business, which is spend more than they took in. Mm-hmm. And so we simply had to sort of get the place disciplined. And I helped to begin that process, and others have carried it forward to the pl- to the point where now, aside from Toronto, which has its own special challenges, the league is quite healthy. And so I'm just glad because to me it was a Canadian institution that existed for the 100th Grey Cups going to be played in Toronto this year, 100 years. That's almost twice as many as there have been Super Bowls. Mm -hmm. You know, we sort of, again, go back to sort of being embarrassed about being Canadian sometimes. We've played the Grey Cup longer, much longer than they played the Super Bowl. It's a Canadian game only played here. People can say it's better or worse, but it's Canadian by a lot of Canadian players in Canadian cities. So to me, that was not something we've let a lot of Canadian things just disappear. And I don't think we should do that anymore. And so I wanted to step in, and I did it for, it ended up being nine years for a dollar a year. And they, they owe me the nine bucks, by the way, plus interest. <laughs> Compounded interest, even at today's low rates, uh-huh. it's, it's accumulating. Uh, the retirement the magic of compounding. But today interest. the thing is on its feet, and other people have carried on doing a good job. And I'm very proud of the fact that we have a CFL and that I played a tiny part in making sure it's still there. Uh, good for you. Having lived in Western Canada until I, you know, come out here. Until you were evicted. Well, no, I, I, I was going to say, <laughs> funny man, that uh, I always... We, my parents were Bomber fans and Rough Rider fans, and I always thought the CFL was the game until you move out to the bigger cities and you realize here in Toronto that, you know, it's kind of like the Blackhawks in Chicago. There are Argonaut fans, but not the CFL fans that they have in sort of the cities out west. No, and if and when we get an NFL franchise in Toronto, which may well happen one day, I, I think that that uh, franchise owner should be required to own the CFL team as well and keep operating it, and I believe there will be a significant constituency of people who will keep going to see Canadian football because they like the game yeah. and they like the Canadian part they like the Canadian teams and it'll keep going and it would be a very sensible thing for somebody like that who owns an NFL team to do and it's affordable when yeah, you're at is. the wonderful Rogers yeah, that's so true Kelly. Yeah. when you're at the wonderful Rogers yes. did you ever take part in any meetings about bringing an NFL team to Toronto oh sure I mean be, well, I mean the, the, they signed up this deal to bring mm-hmm. the Buffalo Bills here not with just a view to have one game a year but with a view to sort of say well let's have a window on this and kind of see if it works see if people will will come out. There are a number of practical impediments, including the stadium. I mean, frankly, which is a good stadium, except it's not big enough to probably mm-hmm. finance an NFL team, which is why you see the ticket prices
prices so high for the Buffalo Bills games. But I think it may well happen one day. I know the NFL people well enough because I got to know them, including the current commissioner, that they will not do it if it kills the CFL. So they'll find a way to make sure that the CFL survives. But uh, And I think even this development of Rodgers and Bell buying the Leafs and the Raptors moves you down the road more to sort of creating a sort of major sports uh, capital here. Because, look, Toronto's mm-hmm. the fourth or fifth biggest city in North America. So mm-hmm. we should have anything we want. I mean, there's certainly not lack of people or lack of money here to support sports teams. Now, John Tory, John Tory, uh, when you were at Wonderful Rogers or Rogers, how do we say that in French? Rogers, Roger. Roger, Roger, Roger. Um, now, do you, as a former CEO of Rogers, question, do you have a cell phone for, for, for life, free? No. Free cell phone for no, life? No, I pay. Now, I get a discounted rate because I'm on the board of Rogers, but I don't get it for free. So, um, when you were uh, CEO of Rogers, did you, could you have uh, any phone you wanted and did you get it for free then? No. Okay. Uh, what about cable? I, cable. Uh, no. <laughs> did you, no, I did paid, you have on demand? I paid for my cable. All right. We didn't have. I, we we introduced on demand while I was there. So. And by the way, we love all you know companies. Well, we just happened to be, we're with the former CEO of Rogers. I'll tell you what happened, though. They brought me one day the VIP list, which was the list of people who did get free cable, mm-hmm. and they brought it to me because they somebody sort of suggested, I think it was Ted Rogers probably, that it was out of control, and he was right. There were dead people on it. There really? were people on it who were public office holders who'd retired 20 Remember years the earlier. Remember drafted a couple there of were, dead guys? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And so we cut, we basically went back to <laughs> to Zilch and started over again on the theory there were just right. too many people. That, um, was Teddy a good boy? He was uh, demanding to work for, but uh, and if you read his book, he's the first to admit that. I mean, he says, I was really demanding to work for. He tells a couple of stories in the book of times when I said to him, because I, I, he and I had a terrific relationship, you know, you you, you know, you got to kind of back off a bit. But you know what? I realized how much I learned from him um, and that he nobody worked harder than he did. I mean, you know, he worked like kind of 19 hours a day. And so he was a great man to work for, and he was a genius. Uh, but, you know, a lot of those people who are geniuses are sort of mm-hmm. people who have those moments where, like, <laughs> yeah. oh, Howard is pointing to himself. <laughs> oh, no, I'll Larry. even do that. I'll even point at Howard. L- let yeah. me. Uh, just, we got. We have uh, uh, only a couple minutes because we have to get to some other stuff. Today. Yes. I just want to say two things. Thank you so much. Yeah. You've Thanks always been gracious me. with us. Yes. Uh, we know we are. We're big fans, obviously, and we admire you for so many reasons. Um, will you on the live drive with John Tory today between four and seven on News Talk ten ten? Will and I got a little nervous yesterday listening to the end of your show. I thought maybe John is going to drop a little. Hey, I'm going to be on tomorrow on the no, most but downloaded. I, see, I didn't know when it was going to be on. So most that's downloaded podcast anything. in Etobicoke. Yeah. Well, no, I wouldn't say that. I'll say it it's is. in the world. Well, we in the world. Yeah. Wow. I'll say in well, the world. Well, you mentioned today sometime on the live yes, drive. Seriously? Yes. Because we're going to we're gonna, we're gonna listen. And I'll put it on my Facebook page and we're gonna where monitor. I have 5,000 friends and Ooh, I have a fan page. With, so, so I, yes, how many do you have? As many, well, trust. You see, there you go. Because, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, and you have a fan page that yes, has a, I'll put it all on all those places. We, Why not? We would Why would I not do that? that? I don't know. But, well, we'd appreciate it. But during your show this afternoon, this show will have been uplo- uh, uploaded, and it will be there. I'll just tell them to do it after 7 o'clock. Sure, go ahead. When I'm off. because yeah. and, and, you know, Listen to me until 7, and then listen to that. Might well, that's all I want to say. Little, and, 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 so and on behalf no, of I think my... what you're doing is great, and I think it is the vanguard. I think it's going to work, and I think it's going to be big stuff. And then we'll go by that radio station. Maybe out somewhere in the outskirts and just beam that it's signal crazy, right into the Toronto market. No, it is Listen, crazy. you want to talk about market size. I mentioned to somebody the other day, or maybe it was this morning. I don't know. I'm losing my mind. This this city this size would have six, in, in the States, would have 60 radio stations. There wouldn't be one classic rock. There'd be four of them. Yeah. There'd be 17 mm-hmm. talk here, stations. You know, we I mean, have regulations. No, that, I, uh, no, I know, but yeah. it's ridiculous. This it, Listen, in Calgary, Edmonton, Winnipeg, those cities commissioned to their yeah. per capita yeah. have way more stations yep. than we do. And it's because of, well, it's a lot of reasons. And we don't even have a mainstream rock station Well, it's the corporation that I work for, the corporation I'm on the board of that have all said, oh, we think we have enough licenses here. Why don't we just leave well enough alone? John, you you, you will come back. Of course. Because we've just scratched no, the I'd surface yeah. with your big brain. Yes, I want. Look, I've got all this information <laughs> right. in my head about turdwords.com. We yeah. have a whole segment <laughs> on that. Maybe I'll mention some of the ones that I couldn't mention besides Canadian Coffee Table. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, are you still thinking segment. about that, Kelly? Oh, no. Canadian Coffee Table. Beer and bacon. Oh, it's going to take me a few days to synthesize <laughs> what Tori said. Uh, listen, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, thank you, John. Thank you. Too bad he can't do the promo. Could he? Could one of these guys tape the promo or not? Uh, oh. I don't know. Sure. Well, well we could. Be great? Here, we could tape it. Yeah. Let me, here's That's what we'll part, do. Yeah, during the show. song. Yeah. And then we'll come back and do the news and uh, talk about stuff. <laughs> See, it's funny. Because now, when John leaves, we can go back and talk about all the nonsensical infantile bullshit we normally mm-hmm. do. That I didn't want to talk about in front of a grown-up with a giant brain.
I'm Toronto Mike. I produce Humble and Fred. If you want to hear more of me, I host a podcast called Toronto Miked. If you go to torontomike.com and click Notable Guests at the very top, you can cherry pick an episode and just check it out, see what you think. There are plenty of Humble and Fred episodes to choose from. Thanks for listening. Peace and love. This episode of Humble and Fred was brought to you by Bodog, Gig Sky, The Retirement Sherpa, The Chambers Plan, GoDaddy, and DraftKings. For Humble and Fred, I'm Dan Duran. And don't forget to help keep the show going by licking them. <clears throat> uh, liking them. Like and subscribe. <laughs>